the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. With me, as always, my now alive, beautiful co-host, Nadia Oxford. Thank you. Uh, I debate the, be- the beautiful part, but I am definitely alive uh, after a, a bout with the flu. <laughs> it tried to kill me, but I bested it. Yeah, we had some bad luck in terms of actually recording this podcast because you were out with the flu, like just... We were going to do our Final Fantasy IX wrap-up mm-hmm. before the year ended, uh, but then you ended up being sick, and I ended up doing the best games of the year with uh, Mike yeah. instead, which ended up working out okay, because uh, he was able to talk at some in su- at some length about uh, Final Fantasy XIV Stormborn and that kind of thing. Yeah, and I think but, you guys talked about uh, Divinity Original Sin too, didn't you? Yes, uh, which he played a whole bunch of, so I, he actually ended up reviewing and really enjoying, so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, of course... Bob wasn't able to make it on the podcast to talk about Monster Hunter World when they were doing the beta, which was unfortunate. But uh, things work out. It's a new year. It's a new time to do things. It's another year of Acts of the Blood God. Uh-huh. I think this is year four wow. at this point. That's, that's a so pretty we started good... in 2015, so I, technically we're heading into the third year of this podcast's existence but wow that's uh, that's pretty impressive for a podcast sometimes people you people usually give up after like three episodes <laughs> yeah well don't think i don't want to give up sometimes <laughs> yeah we've been having some problems with our audio so, so cat's very much on the end of her rope right now yeah i'm a little grumpy <laughs> but i i think everything is okay <laughs> i think we've worked point. it out <laughs> Yeah, poor Katie, yeah. when she had to uh, edit the podcast when you were gone the other week, and she was having a really bad time of it. Yeah, I know. I saw that. <laughs> bad times all around. Technology. But... It rules. But the boss is back. <laughs> the boss is back. Everyone pretend to work. Boss is back in town. Boss is back in town. But well, we're going to take it a little easy this week. We're going to talk a little bit about the games that we were playing over the holiday season, and we're going to be talking about, uh, well, we're going to do our Final Fantasy IX wrap up mm-hmm. uh i don't know about you katie but i was delving a bit into my backlog i totally thought that i was going to be playing a lot of xenoblade chronicles 2 because i've been really enjoying it and everything and it's it, you know it's an easy game that uh, for me to just kind of pick up on my switch but i ended up playing a game that i never expected which is that witcher 3 yeah that's that's going back into a backlog of sorts i suppose <laughs> yeah no totally i i was i was thinking that i was going to be playing a lot of xenoblade chronicles 2 as mm-hmm. i already said but instead uh the witcher 3 xbox one x performance patch came out right and as you may know i have an xbox one x now so you because i ended up <laughs> reviewing it yeah. i would never have bought it otherwise like because it's just too expensive yeah it's, it's pretty like five hundred dollars and i don't need and while i have a nice 4k tv i already got a ps4 pro so i'm just like mm-hmm. oh, it's kind of a hard sell even though the xbox one x is self-evidently way better than the ps4 pro in a lot of different regards yeah but i had one so i was like all right i'll download this witcher 3 performance <laughs> patch <laughs> do uh, it. now is as good a time as any just to see like how it is and the next thing i knew i got totally hooked on it again Oh well, it's a. I, I. It's really one of those games I got to play because I wanted to play it. I know I'd love it, but I haven't gotten around to it. And um, I mean, I can't take advantage of the performance boost because I don't have a 4K TV. But it's just a good game in itself. Well, you can play it in 60 frames per second. Then 
a boy. <laughs> yeah, they added a they added a new patch that enables you to be able to play it in 60 frames per second or 4K. Oh. Though it's a little weird because I was selecting, or. I was selecting 4K or I was selecting 60 frames per second just to see like the differences, but I kept switching back to 4K and I couldn't tell. Like, <laughs> I couldn't tell. It sounds like that was some kind of bug, but That's I think funny. that you would really like Witcher Three. I probably would. It takes like it's a very uh, compelling sort of environment. And it's a one of the best open worlds out there. Like, I mean, I understand that even Breath of the Wild took influence from Witcher Three. So, if Nintendo's taking uh, examples from you, you're probably doing something right. For me, this game has been kind of the slowest of burns over the years mm-hmm. because I just it the, this game really takes its sweet time with everything, <laughs> which it is really okay. does. There's there's so much dialogue. There's so much watching these characters interact with one another mm-hmm. and there are times where i've been like even in this current playthrough i've where i've just been like oh my god get to the point <laughs> there's a a main quest where you have to go talk to like a half dozen townsfolk mm-hmm. because you're looking for you're looking for the whereabouts of one person right like your old buddy dandelion <laughs> who you don't know where he is is his name really dandelion yeah, his name's totally Dandelion because he's a, mm, uh, he's a bit of a fop. He, okay, he's a minstrel. Okay, so. uh, he's apparently appeared in the previous games as like one of your tag along friends. Oh, and you need to find him. So, and they're like, yeah, talk to like freaking everybody. Has anyone seen this weird bard just kind of hanging around? That's basically what it amounts to, and so. There's no game to it. You're just wandering around talking to people. And I get that it's advancing the story and you get to meet these kind of interesting characters. At one point you meet this shop owner who apparently is just all about costumes and has no compunction whatsoever about wearing women's clothing, <laughs> which cool. I, I think that that was like a fun little sequence and everything. But so there's a certain to- point where I was just like, I want to get back to hunting monsters. God. You go to his shop and he's just like serving you in woman's clothes saying, hey, how's it going? <laughs> um, but I, so a few things about Witcher 3. Mm-hmm. Man, that game is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It's one it of the best gorgeous. looking games I've ever seen. And it's so much, it looks so much better now on the Xbox One X. Right. It's, it runs so smoothly. The environment is, the terrain is so varied and interesting and detailed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a, a real pleasure to ride across that world and look up at the sky and see all the really interesting lighting effects and all the really interesting uh, weather and everything. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful world. That's what I love about open worlds is getting to just kind of get on a horse and, and ride across it. That's the thing I love most about Breath of the Wild. It's also really dense. Which is there, nice. It feels like there's so much to do. Mm-hmm. I, I look at my quest log and... So a lot of RPGs, Bioware does this, like Middle Earth, The Shadow War, it has like this bloat mm-hmm. in it where it's like, go help the herbalist collect <laughs> 30 of these like stupid herbs that you don't care about. <laughs> these stupid weeds you don't care about. Whereas the side quests in Witcher 3, so you have the main quest, mm-hmm. but then you have the side quests and it's like, go help so-and-so overthrow the ruler of this country. I'm cool. Like, that sounds cool, interesting. okay. I can do or, that. Your buddy was like doing this thing, and but what was going on with them? Maybe you should go find out. Like mm-hmm. every single one of them has a story hook to them, which is nice. Yeah, um, and sometimes they don't go anywhere, but almost always there's at least 
some interesting little thing that happened um, in it. What were you going to say? I was just going to say, uh, one thing about Xenoblade Chronicles uh, 2 is I was a little bit critical of the, the uh, side quests when I reviewed the game. But, I mean, there's like so, so many of them, and not all of them are very good, but there are a few, actually, that do have really good story hooks, and I was I was glad to, to learn that was the thing. And, in fact, uh, there almost every rare blade you get, each one has its own story quest that helps it grow, which I think was a really nice touch. Hmm. I think the thing that I really like about Witcher 3 is the way that all of the quests slowly but surely build up the world until yeah. it all comes together in kind of a major finale. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is happening to me right now. Like, I've been undertaking all of these different quests in a city called Novigrad, which is this, like, huge city. I've been getting this, a real feel for the politics that are going on Mm -hmm. there. Um, Even though I didn't play Witcher 2. Right. And I'm running into these characters from Witcher 2 and the books. uh, (laughs) books. I have a pretty good feel for what's going on. Uh, There's... uh, (sighs) I mean, I don't want to spoil too much, but the long and the short of it is that witches and wizards are being persecuted by a somewhat um, kind of a jerk of a king. Mm -hmm. And so you're like helping out the witches and wizards if you want. Uh, You're like meeting up with your old flame, uh, Triss, from the previous game. There was this great uh, sequence where I went to help somebody escape uh, from this oppressive regime and it was a mask ball, so we had to buy masks and like outfits. And oh, this is fun. where I got to rekindle the flame with Triss. Um, is that who... the? Did you have sex on a unicorn? Because I know that's a thing. Thanks. <laughs> no, I don't in. think we ever had sex on a unicorn. I think we were in a lighthouse. Oh, okay. It was very that's Simpsons. Also romantic. Yeah, we were in a lighthouse or something. <laughs> um, we were kindling our flames, but no, like it was the. We were chasing each other through a picturesque garden, and then we sat down on the bench, and we started making out, and it was very hot. That sounds very not Geralt, but <laughs> that sounds like the least Geralt thing I've ever heard of. Yeah, it's a little weird listening to him share his feelings in that gruff Batman voice. Yeah, doesn't he have like some that really like sort of like Eastern European accent? No, he doesn't have an Eastern European accent. He just sounds like Batman. He's <laughs> like this low, Batman. gravelly voice. That's kind of cute. Uh, I I opted to keep him clean shaven with the hair long and down. I took it out of the ponytail. Oh, okay. So that's very romantic. And, and then after the mask ball, I kept the mask. <laughs> and you just kind of wear it everywhere? So now he's like Char. Yeah. Yeah, he's always wearing the mask, uh, the, the wolf mask. Um, and Emily was just like, that looks stupid. Take that off. <laughs> it's like, no, it's like, my no, he looks amazing now. And I'm keeping this on for the rest of the game. He's a furry now. Um, but uh, just, and whenever I get bored with it, whenever I get bored, I can just kind of wander off and do something else. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. I went and undertook this really long and involved scavenger hunt quest where I was getting the blueprints for this Witcher gear and then I had to craft it all. Mm-hmm. And once I crafted it all, it looked really awesome. That's awesome. And was quite powerful. Like, so powerful, in fact, that a lot of the battles have actually become a little bit trivial. Whoops. It happens. Yeah. And, and then you can keep upgrading it, and you get, like, passive bonuses and everything. So I did that. And then there are, like, a zillion monster quests. Of course. Um, it's now getting to the point where I'm actually getting a little overleveled for the story <laughs> content because I've been doing so much stuff. But I never do side quests, Nadia. I am yeah. not a side quest person. So uh, yeah. it just tells you how compelling this game is, and I want to. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, 
Yeah, definitely a game I need to, to start on sooner than later. I need to, to stop procrastinating on that because I know I like it. It's really one of those games where I know I like it. I need to get off my ass. Well, it's such a rich world. Exactly. And the characters are so well-developed. And I, I like that the relationships feel really mature, um, especially when it comes to Triss and Geralt. There's, they've been in kind of an on-and-off, on-again, on-off-again relationship going back to at least the, the previous game. And so there's a lot of kind of very adult, like, what are we doing? Like, should we be doing this? What's going on? That's adulthood, all right. Maybe yeah. maybe we should do a Witcher 3 report. I get started. No, forgot, for the love of God, that game's like 200 hours long. Yeah, that is a bit of a... Well, Persona's not exactly short, but I guess it's a not quite 200 hours long. Well, okay, so it's more like 100 at least, mm-hmm. but just the expansion packs by themselves are also like full games right of course yeah but i'm talking about like the core vanilla yeah experience i well, it's, i i feel daunted it feels like there's too much to do mm-hmm. uh i want to do it and i'm going to keep pushing through and i i'm really enjoying discovering all the monsters and everything this is for the first time i've been kind of able to put aside the sense of disconnect that i have with Geralt, Mm -hmm. like he feels a little bit more like a character that i'm role-playing and i'm enjoying i'm getting into the world finally the characters i'm getting in even the battle system isn't bugging me as much because i'm having a good time now that my my spells are a little more powerful they're fun to use uh, it it feels fun to parry attacks and like slice slice off heads (laughs) that kind of thing (laughs) Sending it's fun to fight flying. monsters. It's really satisfying to find the right combinations of oils. It's a it's a, a much deeper game than it looks. Yeah. So yeah, you you went back to uh, you you backslid a little bit. I think we all did it. We talked about this on the US Gamer podcast where we all had these backlogs or or whatever these newer games that we were going to try, and uh, we all just kind of retreated <laughs> to our comfort zones. Well, I wouldn't really say that this was my comfort zone exactly. Right. Uh, it's a generational game, though. True. Like, this is the kind of game that when it's all said and done and we're looking back on the past five years of gaming, mm-hmm. past decade of gaming, we're going to say that this is one of the best games, if Absolutely. not the best game it's definitely important. of the entire generation. Yeah, definitely one of the most important games to come out in recent years. Yeah, so I just feel... As an RPG fan, as somebody who appreciates good games, I've always admired the hell out of Witcher 3, mm-hmm. but it's always been such a slow burn. Yeah. You've really had to get into it. Like, the beginning is so slow. <laughs> Talking to 20 people will find out where Dandelion went to. Yeah, that it, it's... And like I said, the game takes its sweet time. There was, a, there was a point where... So I told you I got this sweet Witcher gear, right? Yeah. Uh, and I'm like... Sweet, I got this Witcher. I have to be another level up. I have to level up to be able to use this Witcher's gear. Um, I have to get to level 11. I'm currently level 10. And it took forever to get to level 11. Of course. And now I'm like level 17 or something like that. No, you're so flying along. I've, I've leveled up. Like suddenly I started leveling up much faster, mm-hmm. almost too fast. But yeah, no, there was a point where it just felt like I was not leveling up at all. Yeah. And the, the story had stalled out a little bit. But now I'm at a point where it's it's kind of moving Yeah, along. you kind of went over that hump. So, like, we can do a Witcher 3 report if the listeners are interested. But if we do do a Witcher 3 report, it's going to seriously going to be like a year-long endeavor. <laughs> it's going to go on for a while, yeah. I can't remember how long Persona 4 took. But uh, but it would be nice to take a break from uh, Japanese RPGs. Yeah, there's um, that. 
and kind of flip over and talk about a game that's kind of generationally great. So I don't know if you have thoughts, uh, cat, a US gamer at usgamer.net. Uh, tell me what you want the next report to be. And hey, we can do this over the next couple of years. Content. Content, yes. Uh, important content. Very valuable content. Good content. All of the content. All of the content. But uh, I'm going to keep playing uh, through Witcher 3. I, I'm also playing another RPG, Nadia. Mm-hmm. Of course. Uh, so did I mention that when I went to England, I started playing Darkest Dungeon? I think so, yes. You streamed I downloaded it, it onto my iPad and started a new run with it. Oh, uh, do you hate life and everything sunny and good about the the world like just want to punish yourself are you telling me are you asking me if i've just been totally taken over by the blood curse yes and uh my stress meter has gone through the roof and i've become afflicted and abusive yes uh no i still like life in life (laughs) it's just a great game uh have i ever like really told you about this game nadia i think so but I i i am okay with hearing about it again Yes, this is why I like you, because you're always okay with me like blathering on about this. So Darkest Dungeon is a game where you get lots of party members coming in each week, and you put them together in a party, and you send them in, down into a dungeon. And mm-hmm. if they die in that dungeon, they die. Yeah, they're gone. And if their stress meter, they have a little stress meter, if the stress meter reaches the top, they go crazy. Nice, yeah. Or, or they find hidden reserves and depths that they did not know about. So they become sane. And become virtuous. <laughs> Virtuous Saiyans. Yes, and then proceed to encourage everybody instead mm-hmm. and keep stress down, which can be That's interesting. Uh, really nice. But there are something like 12 different hero classes, mm-hmm. and they are all very different. Of course. And interact with each other very differently in a lot of different levels. And my absolute favorite thing to do in an RPG is to build teams. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. love having to agonize over my party composition. Shudder. One of the reasons that I had the hardest time getting to Witcher 3 is that there's no party. You're right. It's just uh, Geralt. Yeah. Uh, so you're a, a lone wanderer as opposed to a party composition, uh, as opposed to doing a party composition. It's the same with Fallout. Of course, yeah. Uh, yeah, like I like, because it's not just the abilities and everything. There is role-playing in the abilities. There's role-playing in what party you favor mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh do you like prefer high like high damage output like just blitz them down as fast as possible do you prefer something tankier do you prefer damage over time do you like more uh classical combinations or do you like to experiment and go crazy and everything mm-hmm. and darkest dungeon kind of lets you do everything <laughs> yeah um, it would Last night, I sat. I was sitting on my iPad and I was reading through a party composition mega thread that had like thirteen or fourteen different, extremely different mm-hmm. party compositions with all of the quirks and all of the trinkets and everything. And I'm just like, I am in heaven. That's <laughs> the greatest thing. Ever. I bet you were, and I bet like I think you probably mentioned it before, but you probably love the hell out of Final Fantasy V. Then, uh, no, I don't. <laughs> what? I, I don't like I the characters. You. True, true. I've always I've always said that story is not that important to me mm-hmm. except when it's detrimental. <laughs> <laughs> That's and a good Final philosophy. Fantasy V story is so boring. True. I agree with that. And the characters are so not interesting except for the pirate. I like uh, the pirate. pirate's really cool. What's her name? Ferris, yeah. 
yeah, Ferris is all right, but I don't particularly care for anybody else. It's also bog standard, and the way, even the way that they're introduced, when the comet just arrives, mm-hmm. and you're like, uh, Bart's or Butts or whatever his Butts. name is, shows up on a chocobo and is riding around in a field and goes, "Oh, hello, random person. Oh, hello, <laughs> random person. Hi, guy who just apparently showed up on a comet. You came for a party moon. now. Let's go. Yay, let's go adventuring. You're right. Yeah, that's exactly. Good point. And, yeah, so, but yeah, yeah, you're right. To a certain extent, mm-hmm. I do find the mechanics really interesting in that game. But Darkest Dungeon is much more interesting to me because, first of all, it's a lot prettier. Mm-hmm. Of course. Five and is kind of primitive. That game is all about strategic grinding. Right. So, you are, you are basically trying to decide where to spend your money, how to level up your characters, what to invest in. Mm-hmm. Because you only have a finite number of resources, heirlooms, or heirlooms, sorry, um, gold, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And you have to figure out, like, do I invest in this character or are they too far gone? Do I just need to get rid of them? <laughs> you just send them to their deaths in the dungeon? No, you don't send them to the death. You just dismiss them. Oh, okay. It's actually really interesting because you're talking about this world where... Uh, yes, a stress meter is very much a part of the gameplay, and that makes a lot of sense because dungeon spelunking cannot be a stress-free endeavor. So you have these people who are, by the by the sounds of it, selling their heirlooms and their their savings to go adventuring and possibly <laughs> die in this horrible stressed-out hole, and yet they really want to do it. That's that's really interesting. Well, they're all different. Uh, they all have different reasons for going. Like you have crusaders who are investals who are extremely religious. Right. Okay. You have grave robbers who are just you know kind of awful. Yeah, they're a little bit grave robbers, highwaymen, abominations. Uh, they all have their reasons for coming. Some are fairly unsavory types. Okay. Some are that makes sense. fairly heroic. You, the DLC that came out last year has a character called the Flagellate, yeah. who is covered in bandages and everything and i guess they like they hit themselves. hurt themselves for religion wow that's really cool like, yeah they believe in pain pain will make you pure okay so no wonder they're going to this hellhole yes exactly so they're all fanatics mm. in kind of their own way and uh the the most the dlc it so the cool thing about this game is that you can transfer the save from the ipad over to the the pc which mm-hmm. i did right. and i streamed it yesterday actually right. Well, the PC version has DLC, and you can activate the DLC onto a save. And the DLC adds a new dungeon, but it totally changes the mechanics. So the way it works is you'll suddenly get an invitation to come down to the Crimson Court. Mm-hmm. And it'll look like a regular dungeon at first. And you're like, doop do doop this is fine. <laughs> this is Boy, fine. This, this regular short dungeon is a lot longer than I was expecting. Man, this is going on for a long time. Mm-hmm. And... It's normally when you go into a dungeon, you have like a torch and you have to keep the light level up. Right. Well, instead, the the light is fairly consistent. Mm. So you don't have to worry about that. But the the reason you want torches is that they increase your accuracy. And also you come across these cocoons. And if you open a cocoon, enemies come out Mm -hmm. because they're all like bug creatures. No, thanks. If you wear headphones, you hear that horrible like mosquito like whine in the background. Oh, I hate that. Nothing's worse than that sound. Yeah, but you burn the cocoons to lower the stress of your your heroes. Right. And then you keep going until you reach uh, this, you run into a boss, and you're not even expecting to run into a boss. And the game, like, totally fakes you out. Mm -hmm. 
And that's bad because this is a very strong boss. <laughs> so if you didn't bring a really good party, you might be screwed. Right. And if you go too early into this DLC dungeon, you're doubly screwed. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to lose everybody. Oh my gosh. And if you lose everybody, if you get a party wipe, uh, you lose all the trinkets and everything wow. and they're dead. Oof. Yeah. Talk about stress Yeah, levels. that's really rough. So the first time I went down into this, uh, I brought a character called the... Uh, I forget what that character is called, uh, but they basically are there to grind gold. Mm-hmm. Like, they can't do anything, really. They can only kind of hide and defend themselves. But they are really, really good because they are constantly generating trinkets and gold mm-hmm. and, like, artifacts that you can sell for a lot of money. And so you want to bring them on to runs where you're just like, I'm going down to make money now. Yeah. Money runs. Well, I brought him along. <laughs> I didn't exactly have the greatest party, but thankfully I was overleveled enough that I managed to beat the boss, who was really tough. Right. It was like this crocodile that was hiding among these reeds, and often he would dive underwater mm-hmm. and heal himself and then pop up and do this pre- attack called Apex Predator that would do a ton uh. of damage to one character. I ended up losing the gold grinder. Oh no, the portable gold hobbit. Yeah, he totally bled out. <laughs> Did he bleed him a gold? portable gold hobbit? I don't know. I'm, I'm picturing this little tiny like thing that just poops gold or just sweats gold or something and just trailing behind your party. I don't know. I haven't seen it. Yes, that's exactly what it is. And I will say no others. But so in any case, I have a pretty like I have a high level party. I finally upgraded. I, I finally got a character up to level six, which is the top level. It's the champion oh, level. Nice. Um and I'm in the veteran dungeons mm. now, and I'm kind of clearing those out. And then potentially I will get to the point where I can take on the darkest dungeon. Oh, so you're not even in the darkest dungeon, the titular darkest dungeon yet. That's the final dungeon. Oh, geez. And then and if- you have to go running through it for like four times. Right. At the end of which is the final boss. Wow. So if you lose everyone, you have to start over again, huh? Like just from square one. Yeah, but I'm playing in a thing called Radiant Mode. So they've made a ton of improvements okay. to the game. Because when this game first came out, I, I bounced on it because I was just like, "Yeah, there's too much grinding. Yeah. It's too grindy. I can't keep doing this. I'm going <laughs> to go crazy. And this is boring. And if I lose people, then they're gone and I can't start from scratch. That's just way too much. Yeah. But now, like, there's a... So now you can upgrade the wagon so higher-level heroes show up. Mm-hmm. So you can keep adding in higher-level heroes to your party just as they, like, randomly appear. Right. Uh, you can grind a lot more easily with certain characters. And there's a thing called Radiant Mode, which dramatically shortens the game. Like, it tra- shortens it from, like, 100 hours to, like, 40. Right. Still pretty long. Still, but- Yeah without changing the difficulty or anything and you can level up heroes much more quickly oh that's good so it throws you a little bit of a bone there yeah a little bit um but there's still a lot to do because i i've i'm in the middle of the veteran level dungeons but then there's also the crimson court and the crimson court has these epic length dungeons Mm -hmm. which are like a hundred rooms wow yeah like uh, that's crazy town (laughs) because your average dungeon will have like a dozen rooms at most right so an epic length dungeon, the only good thing is that the maps are fixed. Mm-hmm. But then there are also like keys and things that yeah. you have to retrieve to open up certain doors. It's almost like the original Legend of Zelda. That's what I was thinking of, yeah. 
So I'm like, I don't know if I want to actually try to take this on. Go play more Witcher 3. And the other annoying thing is I've got my iPad version, which the DLC is not out on the iPad yet. Right. I was wondering about that. I guess not. So I can't just transfer the save Mm -hmm. back and keep going. So now I have a separate save without the DLC. And I'm like, do I want to keep playing without the DLC? I mean, the DLC is pretty cool and interesting and adds a lot of different things and new classes and all that. But it also means that just sitting on being tied to my computer rather than just being able to break out my iPad whenever. Yeah. Which is the reason I got back into it was because I could just go on a random run with my party and be like, doot, doot, (laughs) doot. Anyway, uh, this game's going to be out on the Nintendo Switch very soon oh. if you're interested in it. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Hmm. Uh, hopefully it's a, a decent port. Mm. The The nice thing about the Switch version is it'll have a much bigger screen than the Vita version mm-hmm. uh, while retaining the portability and also have a touch screen. So yeah, able to enjoy it. Kind of that, that um, in between with the uh, the iPad and the, the Vita. So yep. yeah, that's yes. uh, hmm. I might hate myself enough to give it a try. <laughs> I <No>. guess <laughs> you wouldn't like it. Probably not. It's a very hardcore RPG. Yeah, that is just mostly obsessing about party compositions and everything. It's very grindy, mm-hmm. and also it doesn't. Re- it has a story, right? And the story is interesting. It's all about how like this character called the Ancestor kind of fell into these crazy experiments and started summoning horrific forces from the the underworld and everything mm-hmm. and you have to basically clean up his mess <laughs> is what it all comes down to right. and that's that's a fairly interesting story yeah i mean but i liked etrian odyssey 5 but that's as hardcore as i want to get uh yeah i mean etrian odyssey 5 is maybe a, a smidge less hardcore than this game yeah yeah but it also has no real tying story but i found it like compelling enough to keep on going yeah it it's just a different taste, mm-hmm. and I kind of want to keep playing it. I really like this game, and I want to beat it. I, I kind of want to beat it, the vanilla version. I kind of want to beat the DLC, and they've got more DLC coming at a certain point called The Color of Madness. There's too much Ooh. to do. There really is. Too many RPGs to play. I could play this game forever, mm-hmm. but I got other RPGs. Speaking of other RPGs, and Nadia, I've been delving into my backlog. I've been playing games from, like, a couple of years ago, but you went even further back. You played a game from like 20 years ago. <laughs> I, I went I went all the way back to, gosh, 1995, I guess, in both cases. Because, yes, what happened was for Christmas, my husband got me uh, two games, two retro games, SNES. Um, I have uh, Terranigma, a repro cart. And I have uh, Secret of Evermore, the actual article. Uh, and I have been playing both over the, the holiday. And that's been very interesting. I have my nice flat screen CRT TV and I've been uh, just kind of chilling along, chugging along. Good times. Oh man, I so want a flat screen CRT television. I wish I could totally justify being able to actually get that. Yeah, they um, like we were, I was actually on the Square Roots podcast over the holiday and we were talking about how uh, not only are they getting rarer, these, these CRT televisions, but also getting more expensive. Yeah, they're, I mean, because they're just becoming harder and harder to find because nobody actually makes them. Yeah. You got one of the big fat ones, right? Yeah, I got one of the big fat ones that weighed like that weighed like 60,000 pounds. So if it falls on me, I'm dead. But uh, <laughs> in the meantime, I have a really good TV to play the SNES on. And I'm really glad that I got it when I did it. It came out like right before uh, HGTVs became a thing. So it was really one of the last ones they produced. And it's a, it's a really nice little article. I would love to have one of those... 
little CR televisions, like the Sony ones. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. Retronauts. Retronauts did a really great episode about different retro displays and like what the optimal one is. Oh, I bet Parrish knows all about that. There's a very particular TV that you want to find, but you really have to invest money in it because yeah. it's expensive yeah. as hell. Um, so, yeah, I would love to get one of those, but I know that it would just sit at my desk with like, I don't know, a Super Nintendo or whatever, and I would never play it. Well, they, they're good for the cats, too. The cats get to sit on it while uh, <laughs> they don't get to do that on TVs anymore. Yeah. So they have a spot. All right. Secret of Evermore. So when this game came out, it was pretty confusing to a lot of people. Yes, it was, because uh, the name Secret of Evermore implies that, hey, this is a sequel to Secret of Mana, which it is not. Uh, Secret of Evermore what? is a... <laughs> yeah, believe it or not, it is an American-developed uh, game. And what? even though it has the Secret of title in it, story-wise, it, it does nothing to link to, to Square uh, Japanese title. Uh, but it was also published by Square. It was published by Square, yeah. I think Ted Woolsey um, worked on it. Heightening the confusion even more. Yeah, it is very confusing when I when I look back. I'm like, wow, they 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 shouldn't have named the secret of, secret of anything because uh, number one, one of the reasons it was kind of scorned back in the days because people thought we got it instead of Seeking uh, Dentetsu three slash Secret of Mana two, which isn't the case. It's just that Secret of Mana two was, I believe, maybe too big and too complex to localize to bring out. They literally could not fit it on the cart. Yeah, it, it, we're talking about a game that took up like every inch of space in in Japanese and of course Japanese text is a lot more compact than than English text so it would have added that much more space to the card that they just weren't willing to to do uh but Secret of Evermore the reason why it's even called that I believe is because it utilizes a lot of the systems from Secret of Mana you have the ring mount uh, the ring menus you have like the action RPG sort of element where you have to wait until you got 100% power before you can attack you've got magic sort of but it's kind of an alchemy system i haven't figured that out yet i haven't really gotten deep into deep enough into the game to to really get a good feel for it uh and but otherwise it's a very it's a very unique beast because it's a little bit ahead of its time as as far as console-based western rpgs go um because by that point in time of course there were pc rpgs uh that were western made but consoles we were just getting used to japanese rpgs let alone like western rpgs so with Secret of Evermore, you have you have like the more subdued color palette. You have the more subdued soundtrack. Of course, it was it was actually composed by uh, I'm going to butcher his last name, Jeremy Soule, Jeremy Sole, who does uh, the Elder Scrolls games now, including Skyrim. Oh. Yeah, so he goes for a more atmospheric kind of soundtrack as opposed to a more in-your-face like do 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 battle theme, you know, upbeat sort of thing. So. Yeah, he's um it's a it's an interesting game. Uh not as good of course as Chrono Trigger or Final Fantasy 6, but I appreciate it for existing and I, I am going to continue mm. going, seeing how how far I get before, see if I get fed up or if I just keep on uh kind of finding interest in it. What do you like about it most? Uh it's got this really weird sense of humor. I mean, one reason I think it would not fly in at the time is because it's the story does not take itself seriously at all. Uh, the protagonist is literally a no-name kid who is hanging out with his dog, and he his idea of character building is to quote made up movies from that universe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so he's a nerd. He's a total he's a total movie nerd. Um, it has a very American feel to it, like 
kind of like the way Earthbound does, but except it's actually done by an American company. So uh, the the story starts off with this flashback in the 60s, and you see this town with this, like, you know, bijou theater, and, and it looks really nice. And then, like, you flash forward to, to, to 1980, and it's all broken down and worn out, the, like, just uh, worn out sort of cityscape. Um, I also like the dog. There's a, because uh, you play as the boy and his dog, literally, and the dog changes forms as you go from time era to time era because it's a kind of a game about time travel. And um, I just like systems that you play as dogs. You don't get that too often in RPGs. That was one thing that always irritated me about uh, Earthbound was you started out with a dog, but then you lost him very quickly. I like any RPG that has a dog as a character. Yeah, it's hard to say no to a dog. Persona 3 totally has a dog as a character. Does it? Yeah, and you can totally take him out for walks and stuff. <laughs> Does he fight? That's how you bond that's how you bond with him is that you take the dog out for walks. That's hilarious. Um and the dog can also fight in your party and everything. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's one of my favorite characters. Obviously, I love Amaterasu. Yeah. Which uh not an RPG per se, but I love that character. Uh Darkest Dungeon has the Houndmaster. Oh, nice has a little puppet has a puppy that uh walks along with him and <laughs> the dog can uh you can mark enemies the dog can hit everybody and cause them to bleed cool. or it can just rush them yeah and if you're camping you can have it do a hound's watch mm-hmm. and keep uh everybody from being from keep everybody from being ambushed and can also scout ahead for you and scout out the next room so yeah, very useful animal. The Hound Master is definitely one of the best classes. So, but more more broadly, if there's a dog, I'm always going to pick the dog. Yeah, me too. I actually that's one thing I loved about Twilight Princess. It, I liked playing as Wolf Link. Yes, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I love playing as Wolf Link with Midna. Yeah, that was the absolute best part of that game. I agree. I know people didn't like the Twilight Realm so much, but uh, once you're able to control Link and have him like morph at will, that was a lot of fun. The actual, yeah, I agree. The the actual Twilight Realms where you had to go through and solve the puzzles and find the thing mm-hmm. and kill the the enemies, not super fun, but I really enjoyed the act of turning into Link uh, in the way, or turning into Wolf Link in the way that people would interact with you differently if you were a wolf. Yeah, you could talk to Usually the cats. Usually freaking out, running away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you could talk to the cats and the cats would say these really deep philosophical things. It was yes. really adorable. Yes, I totally remember that. Yeah, you could talk to all the animals. Yeah, and you, would, you could talk to Epona, and Epona would be like, I know it's really you deep down inside, Master. Like, aw, thanks, horse. But it, if I may say, with like Secret of Evermore, I think that it was an expectation thing as much as the actual quality of the game. Yeah. Because first of all, when you hear Secret of Evermore, you assume another Secret of Mana type game. Yeah. But this is not a fantasy game, no. seemingly. I mean, it's more earthboundy in a lot of respects. Yeah, it's more, uh, really more sci-fi, uh, more of a mm-hmm. sci-fi setting than a fantasy setting. I think even Earthbound is more feels more fantasy than uh, I guess because maybe it has that brighter color palette. So uh, that'll totally like throw you for a loop, right? Yeah, um, it's funny when Secret of Evermore was first announced for the SNES. I thought, oh man, I- I'm getting that because I, I kind of thought it was like a follow-up to Secret of Mana, but. Then Chrono Trigger came out first, and I said, well, I really want a game now, and since Secret of Evermore got delayed, I guess, in flavor of Chrono Trigger, I said, oh, I'll, I'll get Chrono Trigger instead, and I did, and I guess it was a better purchase either way. 
Secret of Evermore, not exactly remembered as an all-time classic, but it's kind of cool that you're going back and delving into maybe this kind of forgotten RPG. Yeah, it's, and it's, I look forward to your thoughts. It's definitely forgotten. It was definitely a, a bit of an expensive cartridge, from what I understand, uh, because yeah. it didn't... So was everything at that time. Yeah, no, that's true. But I mean, on the secondary market, because... Uh, I don't think mm, it sold that kind well. Kind of rare. Yeah, so it's kind probably of rare. Didn't get the, probably didn't get much of a production run, for sure. No, I, I highly doubt it, because it's an RPG to begin with, and then like people were expecting something in the vein of Secret of, Ever, uh, Secret of Mana, and of course they didn't get that. So uh, yeah. For the longest time, I just I saw the name Secret of Evermore and just assumed that it was uh, kind of a fantasy game, like, and I think a lot of people were the same way. When it popped up on... Um, mm-hmm. When it popped up on like in, in in Nintendo Power and that kind of thing, yeah, it definitely deserves a second chance, and I, I'm looking forward to just kind of going through it and seeing uh, what I think of it now in hindsight. Speaking of giving games second chances, I think it's time to move on, Nadia, mm-hmm. and talk about or uh, do our Final Fantasy IX report wrap up. Yeah, may as well. It's been uh, it's been about a month now since you actually wrapped up Final Fantasy IX, so yeah, it's been a uh, while. It's not as fresh in your memory, but maybe you have a little bit of a benefit of distance. Mm-hmm. So, having now played through the entirety of Final Fantasy IX, got you've got that notch on your belt. You've you've gotten it out of your your backlog. You can say that you're done. Overall thoughts? Overall, uh, it definitely ranks up with my my upper pantheon of, of favorite Final Fantasy games. Still not quite my favorite. Uh, I'd still say prefer six. I actually prefer seven as well. Uh, four. <laughs> so I wouldn't say it's in my top three, but definitely in my top five. Um, Interesting. So you prefer seven. Uh, the, I don't know if that's like a controversial statement, but I, I'm sure that among a certain subset of Final Fantasy fan, fans that they would be like, really? Seven over nine? Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. Here's the thing. I I will admit nostalgia. Seven came to me, of course, during the formative years of my life, and it's just a really intense game to play at that time of your life. I, I admit that. But uh, 9 also has problems in terms of its mechanics. It is very, very slow. Uh, I think I would have gotten... I might have even gotten fed up with it uh, playing it without the the benefit of the fast-forward function and having to sit through every friggin' scene, battle-loading. Oh, my God. It, it, it's bad in 7. It's so much worse than 9. It doesn't hold up, in other words. Not in terms of its mechanics. Um, I enjoyed... Its soundtrack is fantastic. Its graphics... I, that's probably why we got such a crappy load time, is because the graphics are very good. Uh, the new graphics, like, they did a really good job. The backgrounds are a little bit blurry, but the polygons look all nice and crisp now. Um, but, yeah, just in, ter- in terms of the load times, not a fan. Yeah, sadly, old PlayStation games just don't hold up that well, do they? No, unfortunately, it's a bit of a shame. But uh, I'm 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 really glad I played it. I feel like the story falls apart a bit in the third act. Uh, again, bringing up Square Roots uh, podcast, which I was on, uh, the host uh, John said he had a perfect term for it, which is disc three crazy, which is what what you refer <laughs> to like as a Square game or any sort of RPG that kind of loses its mind in the third act. <laughs> and I wouldn't say it's, like in what way. Uh, uh, just like when 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 things go a little bit off the rails. Uh, I wouldn't say nine is quote unquote crazy, but I do feel like the story takes kind of a weird turn in the third act. 
with mm-hmm. Tara and Garland and all of that. Like, it's just this. We did talk about how um, that whole issue with Tara and Gaia and everything that happened within was a callback to chaos and from Final Fantasy One and the time loop and all of that. But I don't know. I just feel like it was just not, not as well put together as it could have been. It wasn't terrible by any <laughs> means, but I, I felt like I wasn't spending... I feel like the time could have been better spent developing the character who didn't get a lot of, of face time in the game. So, Freya. Freya, um, I can't even remember the name of that, that red-haired jerk who, who just joins her party. Oh, Amaranth. <laughs> Amaranth, that's it. I, I barely used him. I never used him because I didn't like the character design. Yeah, what the hell's up with him? I'm like, are you yeah. like, he looks like a lion who got his head run over. It's just, I, <laughs> I don't understand what's going on. I used him for a little bit. Um, you kind of got a, a better idea of who Iko is, so there was that at least. But, um, yeah. Amaranth felt like a last-minute throw-in. He really did, didn't he? Almost like they were like, we're, we're character short. We we really need to have at least one more character that people can pick from. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. This throw dude. this guy, I guess. <laughs> okay, sure. Um, it's too bad because Vivi had a fantastic character arc. Uh, Garnet mm. had a great character arc. Zidane, even though I didn't like so much where his story went, he still had a develop. He still developed. He still had a character arc. Aiko had kind of a character arc. Freya just fell to the wayside which is too bad she was really interesting yeah she definitely her arc once it kind of wrapped up around the mid game yeah uh, she definitely faded into the background and became a supporting character even though i really liked her yeah it's like first of all she's a dragoon i love dragoons she's a female dragoon you don't see those very often and she's a female rack roll dragoon yeah man she she was perfect on the subject of zidane's arc i think that it actually works because it's kind of in the vein of Final Fantasy 7 in that you have a really confident hero mm-hmm. who initially comes off as maybe the most charismatic and most optimistic of all of them who by the end is forced to question who he is mm-hmm. and what his place is in the world like everything he thought he knew is thrown to the wayside and he has to rebuild uh, either he has to persevere or he has to be totally broken by it. And of course, both Cloud and Zidane ultimately are able to kind of find themselves in right. that regard. And I'm actually okay with that. I was fine with the idea of Zidane being this confident hero who's broken down and has to build himself back up. But I just mean like the whole the whole subplot with Terra and Gaia and the souls. It's just like, oh, okay. But so it's not the, a subplot. It's like the main, the main plot. You know what I mean? Yeah. They set it up almost from the very beginning with the mist yeah. and all of that. And in fact, one of the major themes of the entire game is just this whole kind of finding yourself. Who mm-hmm. are you? What is this world? Everything not being kind of what it seems and that kind of thing. Yeah, um, that's true. But I just didn't find it as interesting as it could have been, I guess. <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. Uh, I I think that this game is the most Final Fantasy game you're possibly going to find. That's true, yeah. It's just, it hauls out every single trope and lovingly puts it out there mm-hmm. as, this is Final Fantasy, all right. <laughs> you want a Final the Fantasy? Whole, shove it down your throat. The whole circle of life with mm-hmm. the souls returning to the earth and then being hijacked via a tree. 
<laughs> via oh. a tree, yeah. <laughs> That's about Final Fantasy-ish. The sudden and crazy sci-fi turn, mm-hmm. the, the kind of steampunk look to everything, the many, many, many airships. Yes, I so did like many so airships. many airships. I did love the designs for the airships, especially the Hildegard Three. And there's sort of everybody going through this existential crisis, which was definitely a thing that started in Final Fantasy VI for yeah, the most. So. I mean... It felt like Final Fantasy picked it up with uh, Cecil. They saw how popular Cecil was in mm-hmm. Final Fantasy IV, who kind of had his own little existential crisis of, do I want to be working for this evil king? Yeah. And then, of course, making his big decision on, what was it, Mount Ordeals Mount or Ordeals, whatever. Yeah. And eventually, <laughs> said, no, I am your brother. <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> I am your father. I mean, oops, I am your brother. And then Final Fantasy VI obviously did it in a much more interesting and like kind of compelling way. Yeah. Like, that kind of continued, I don't know, until... I mean, it's been it's always been more or less a part of Final Fantasy. Yeah. But it was definitely at its height in Final Fantasy VII and IX, for sure. Yeah. It's when games got emo. <laughs> when games got emo. I feel like uh, Kuja wasn't the greatest villain, though. Uh, Kuja is a little bit forgettable. Yeah. I, I remember at the time thinking, oh, sweet, it's another Sephiroth type character um, <laughs> who's kind of crazy. So he's kind of like Kefka meets Sephiroth. Kefiroth, yeah. Okay. He's very pretty. So like, I wanted the pretty boy characters back. I was annoyed that uh, the villain of Final Fantasy VIII was this crazy sorceress. Yeah, yeah. No, the pretty boy was back, all right, but he didn't really do very much. I mean, he did, but he was very flamboyant and very over the top but he didn't really have a good reason to be um i don't know like uh, a lot of his arc is compensating for stuff that's true <laughs> he sure was compensating he was compensating for the fact that he was thrown away mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that he was basically worthless uh in the eyes of garland so he compensated by being extremely almost annoyingly confident <laughs> and pretty he was very very pretty yeah and uh Speaking of Kuja, uh, one thing that really was underutilized in the game was the trance system. You think so? I think so. I, I just feel like, um, I think Final Fantasy VI really nailed how it should be, where Terra had her, she could call upon her powers once she knew why she could wield them, and when, once she knew she could control them. And yeah, you have them for a limited amount of time, but you kind of can use them when they're, when they're convenient. How many times in this game did I, like, transform when I was one hit away from beating an enemy and then of course you can't summon trance again until you get like kicked in the face enough times so it just wasn't as handy as it could have been and it's it's interesting because the transforms all looked very neat like they all I feel like each one had a story behind it that we never really found out yeah I definitely like the limit breaks in yeah. Final Fantasy 7 and 8 better yeah me too because in 7 of course you had the, the meter that yep. would just rise up until you were ready to use it, and then you could use it whenever, right? Yeah. yeah. It wouldn't reset? No, I think you could take it from battle to battle. So if you were yeah. like at the end of a battle, you could just skip over the character's turn. And of course, uh, of course, the, the limit breaks are a little bit overpowered, no doubt. Um, although sometimes I balance that out. Like with uh, Vincent, he could turn into these weird, really OP monsters, but you couldn't control them. And you couldn't take yeah. him out of trance until... Uh, the battle was over, which of course, if you if you were like that stupid Frankenstein monster and you use an electric attack against an electric enemy, you were screwed because it'd heal him every turn. <laughs> yeah, and then Final Fantasy VIII had um, 
the limit breaks would become likely to activate when you are at a very low level mm-hmm. or low HP. Right. So a viable strategy was to try to get your HP as low as possible so your limit break would activate basically every single turn. <laughs> Which was how I seem to recall beating... Yeah, that's how I beat Omega Weapon at the end of the day because uh, there's a strategy you can use where you get everybody down to one HP mm-hmm. and then you use something called Holy War to make yourself invincible. <laughs> and then you just spam you spam Limit Breaks until it's dead. Okay, whatever works. But at least you kind of yeah. got to control that strategy yourself. Uh, again, Final Fantasy IX was just, you know, transform. Oh, we're done. So how exactly did the trans system work again? From what I can gather, uh, if you got hit enough or took enough damage, your secondary meter would fill up rather slowly unless you put, like, an accessory or a a skill that would fill up a little faster. Um, And then you would transform. And each transform had, um, I think it had additional skills. Like, one that was really handy was with uh, Quina. Uh, Usually she has to get an enemy down to to 25% of their HP before she can absorb their powers. But I think when she's tranced... It's 50%, so that's a much easier way to to basically gather up blue spells. Um, and I think Zidane had some, some kind of interesting uh, skills, too, as I recall, but I was really kind of more interested in how he turned into, like, a really hairy monkey. <laughs> <laughs> he grew extra hair. Going full Dragon Ball on a He, on he went totally Super Saiyan 4. Yeah. So a few things that I think Final Fantasy IX does extremely well... Mm-hmm. I mean, the characters that you described, uh, Vivi, Garnet, uh, Zidane, all very extremely well-developed. Yeah, they did a really good job. With, with very satisfying arcs. Yes. And a lot of depth and interesting. Also, I think it's the funniest Final Fantasy I've ever played. I have yeah. not played a funnier Final Fantasy. It has a very... Uh, Final Fantasy VI, as much as I love it, it's really, really, really depressing game. Uh but it's also really slapstick. Yeah. Like Final Fantasy VI has its funny moments, but when it's trying to be funny, it's usually devolving into the little sprites going, you know, with the big eyes yeah. and they're kind of hopping around. <laughs> yeah. Like, Wah! Right? Yeah. Very slapstick. Whereas Final Fantasy IX, I loved all of the little vignettes yeah. that you could randomly access, the active time events. Yeah, those were all hilarious. Like, it was a very... It did a really good job balancing that serious uh, stuff with the the humor, which is hard to do. So, and Steiner was hilarious. Yeah, I'm sorry, <laughs> he, because Steiner Steiner is the perfect mix of extremely serious mm-hmm. but totally absurd. Yeah. Um. To to the game's credit, one one thing that's really good about Steiner is that everyone knew how to play off him. Mm-hmm. So everyone knew he was ridiculous, and they treated him as such, and that could get pretty funny. But the key is, he's not a total joke. No, he has his serious moments. He has his moments where he's serious. And I think it's really important Mm -hmm. for these slapstick characters who are like often the butt of all the jokes, who are totally crazy, to have that lucid grounded moment. Yeah. Because that endears them to you. So you got to have that little bit of drama. You got to have that little bit of comedy. And it makes both of those things yeah. uh, pop that much more. Like, basically, you weren't laughing at him when it counted. Uh, like, when he was teaming up with Beatrix towards the end of the game. And I think it was Alexandria was under attack from Mist Monsters. And, like, they were just pummeling the hell out of these things. And it's like, wow, that's pretty badass. He was also one of the most powerful characters. He, he was pretty ridiculous, yes. Especially if you teamed him up with Vivi. Yeah, and 
I like that Beatrix and Steiner end up together. Yeah, that's really cute. I'm disappointed that you can't play as Beatrix, but I'm glad she didn't die. I was convinced she was going to die. Yeah, I, I like that they tried to basically put her into Final Fantasy 15. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that the, the thing is like the female Final dragon. Fantasy 15 had a Beatrix slash kind of Celeste character. Yeah. But yeah. she freaking disappears like toward the end of the game, and it's so annoying. <laughs> I'm like, I love this character. Why can't she be more more present in the events of the game? Mm-hmm. They actually finally stuck her in the um, the the DLC for Ignis. No, I think, I think was it Ignis or was it Prompto? Are you talking about the Prompto the, the dragon? Yeah, she teamed. They teamed her up with Prompto, and I loved that. Yeah, yeah. So at least she didn't that totally was pretty rad. But. So yeah, aside from being extremely funny uh, and having extremely well-developed characters, it's also just a really vivid world mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, in a way that, see, Final Fantasy 6 through 9, no, 6 through 10, all benefited from just having these really great, interesting, well-realized worlds that were really coherent and they were all different. Yeah. They all had this very decidedly different look mm-hmm. to them. I, I would throw in 12 in there as well. It, it, would, it didn't start to go off the rails until 13 and 15, where it just all of a sudden became this giant hob, hodgepodge of things. Yeah. But 6 through 12, whoo, exquisite. Yeah, I would even give 15 the benefit of the doubt, because uh, 15 has like this walled kingdom and this world that's been ravaged by war, yeah, so there is like that juxtaposition, but... 13 tried a little the, hard. The whiplash is too strong. It I'm is a sorry. little bit strong, yeah. You can definitely see Whereas, what this like, seems Final on that Fantasy game. Nine, uh, like I love um King Sid's um I, I love King Sid's hometown, the capital. Yeah. Um try I am totally blanking on it, the name of it now, even though I know exactly what yeah. you're talking about. But yeah, that was a really interesting town. I love the Black Mage Village and how like secluded and, and overtaken by nature it is. Mm. yeah it's it i love i love uh i love the final dungeon uh, it looks really cool yeah that was really neat i, I really like that last dungeon and the music there was fantastic as well i can totally understand why sakaguchi considers final fantasy 9 to be his favorite mm-hmm. in the series yeah it, because what were we gonna say i was just gonna fe- say it feels like considering that he kind of left after all that it does feel a bit like his opus well it feels like it's definitely his swan song yeah and I'm sure for him it was just an, a crazy nostalgic game to actually make mm-hmm. because he was looking back on, at that point, a decade of working on the same series and probably thinking about how far Square had come since he had made the original Final Fantasy. And crazy. at that time, Square was at the absolute height of its power. Yeah. And I mean, when he was working on the original Final Fantasy, he was just, you know, a developer. Yeah. And he was, at that point, like, executive vice president of Square, and he had all of these different projects going on and everything. He was making a movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, for him, that was, like, the culmination of so many different things. And and he he really kind of knocks it out of the park. It's a very emotional game it in is, that yeah. regard. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed my time with it. Like I said, it's not quite my... I guess I'd be my fourth favorite. Still looking at six, then seven, then four, then nine. Sorry, everyone. I loved it, but I love those three so much. Uh, it, definitely, it definitely has a problem with holding up mm-hmm. in the way that like Final Fantasy IV and Final Fantasy IV, VI, X, ten even yeah. kind of hold up maybe a little bit better 12 
yeah because it's just it's beholden to the fact that a it was on the playstation and b they were pushing the playstation to its absolute, absolute limit yeah um like i said that's the thing that really brought it down for me was the mechanics and just how slow it was i almost wish that you could have stuck to the third the, the three-party system sorry three-person system if just like you could have a, move a little bit faster so i would put final fantasy 9 above four uh, I, I would put it above seven. Nope. And, and <laughs> this is just my personal opinion. Okay, fair. fair. Because I think that it is more mature than those two games. Uh, let's see, four, I can understand where you're coming from. Seven, I feel like, I still feel like it really could benefit from a better translation, and then maybe the story would come out feeling a little more con- cohesive, complete, uh, thorough. I think with Final Fantasy Nine. Uh, I mean, it's all a matter of taste, right? Yeah, I just, yeah. I like the maturity of the writing, I think. Mm-hmm. And I, it feels like, we, I mean, I was already saying this, Square was hitting it on, on, all, on all cylinders yeah. at this point. They had the technology. They put this thing together so fast. They just, That's true. They knew what they were doing, but it's such a big game. Mm-hmm. And I, I think just following along as you experienced Final <laughs> Fantasy IX for the first time, there was so much I had forgotten about this game. Yeah, yeah. And I... I, I think I had a much greater appreciation mm-hmm. for everything that it, it accomplished. But more to the point, in the when this game first came out, America ha, American fans had a much different perspective on the series than Japanese fans. That's true. Because I mean, I I really got my start on the series with seven. Mm-hmm. Like I six, what like I really enjoyed six, but seven was where I fell completely in love. Right, and so many people were like that as well. Exactly. So I hadn't played the original Final Fantasy at that point. Yeah. So uh, so much of the nostalgia and so many of the references mm-hmm. were totally lost on me. So now looking back on it all these years later, like I can totally point at everything, appreciate all of the callbacks and everything. Like at the time, I was just like, "Well, what the heck is up with this final boss?" <laughs> what <laughs> oh yeah i thought i hated it i hated it mm-hmm. and now i'm like oh that's really cool yeah okay <laughs> it's a total callback to the original final fantasy does it necessarily work in the context of the game eh, <laughs> kind eh. of sometimes a little um yeah i do feel like some of the continents were a little bit sparse uh once mm. you leave the the mist continent and you have this whole world open to you it's uh the overworld itself is a little bit empty but that's just it could just be like a symptom of RPGs back then. So you seem a little lower on it, and I seem a little higher on it. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I think so. Um, but I, I, I do very much appreciate it. I'm glad I played it. I know it's some mm-hmm. people's it's their absolute favorite. Like, I think Jim Sterling calls yes. it, quote-unquote, his best one. Hmm. But uh, I wouldn't go that far. Yeah, my, my... But I think it's... Oh, my best one is still Final Fantasy VI. All right, Nadia. Uh, some people totally left comments on our final discussion about final fantasy nine and the, the conclusion uh johnny boy 407 says i'll stick up for the ending of final fantasy nine mainly not killing off Zidane. i look at it this way garnett had all the summons forcibly removed from her body found out that her entire race was executed learned she was physically muta- mutilated as an infant had to watch her adopted mother die and witnessed her citizens massacred by bahamut the dude she kind of likes being alive gives her a little bit of happiness. I think she deserves it. Okay, that's fair enough. Definitely. Okay, I'll, I'll keep Zidane alive for Garnet. I will do it. <laughs> when you put it when you put it like that, you kind of realize that Garnet had kind of a crappy childhood, didn't she? Just a bit. And actually, that's one thing I actually like about uh, Final Fantasy IX. Is it leaves you guessing in that regard. Like, 
her mother, her adoptive mother, you only see her when she's nasty, but apparently she's, you hear that she was, you know, she was raised with care and love. And it's like, well, how true is that? They kind of cut your horn off, you know? Uh, Telrain says, I like Final Fantasy Nine a lot, but Necron's appearance is super lame. <laughs> that said, it did lead to one of the sillier RPG stories I have, which I will now tell. Ooh, let's settle in, get some popcorn. Mm. I had finished Final Fantasy IX and loved the ending, still one of my favorites, and that night a bunch of friends were at my house doing this, something that didn't involve the TV. I figured that I'd put the ending of Final Fantasy Nine, put on the ending of Nine because I was young and stupid and thought people might care about an ending that was good because of the emotional investment of playing the game. My party was a bit underleveled and lacking in top-tier abilities, but I had a lot of auto-regen, which is seriously broken in FF9. Mm-hmm. I fought Necron for a bit until he ended up killing everyone in my party except Garnett, who was berserk in mini and just repeatedly attacking with some crappy racket for three damage. <laughs> However, due to auto-regen, Necron couldn't actually finish her off, so instead of resetting, I just kind of let the game run in the background, and my friends and I laughed about how silly it all was. <laughs> Suddenly, Garnett tranced, which healed berserk in mini, so I grabbed the controller, got the party back up, and resumed the fight, only to have everyone but Garnett die again. Oh my god. Except this time, she was not only berserk, she was only berserk not mini but she still seemed to be basically invulnerable so i left her attacking for a few hundred damage at a time <laughs> i figured she trans again eventually but she actually ended up killing him with normal attacks oh my god it was amazing and i will never forget it so you, you basically killed a chaos god with a that crappy ass like lacrosse stick that she uses that's amazing I like how broken and crazy uh, classic Final Fantasy games are. They really are, aren't they? Not just nine. They're all kind of broken and to a ridiculous degree. That was the best thing about the PlayStation Final Fantasy nines was finding, and, and six to an extent as well, was figuring out how to break them over your knee. Yeah, like six, uh, when I first played it, it was I was still very new at RPGs, so uh, I didn't really know how to break them. But of course, looking at the uh, Let's Play thread, um, Let's Break Final Fantasy six is ridiculous. It's amazing. I love it. <laughs> Breaking Final Fantasy. Uh, Satellite of Love says, yeah, I've never wanted to play Final Fantasy IX either. The battle speed problem is solved with the PC version, so that helps at least a little. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Except except that you're just complaining about how slow it is the entire time. Yeah, well, I think what he means is like you can stop the game, press the fast-forward thing, and then like unpause it, and it gets the job done, don't get me wrong, but it is kind of tedious. Lord Bob Bree says, officially, Necron is basically what you said it is, a callback to his chaos slash Ceramus. There is a theory that makes some sense that Necron is part of the Leafa tree that filters out souls. Also, Thousand Year Door is the best Mario, and I only wish Nintendo would return to what made it good instead of what it's been doing to the series lately. It, <laughs> Just a small thing. Yeah, like, I feel uh, we'll have, like, a maybe we'll have a, a Paper Mario podcast someday, but... Um, Nah. <laughs> well, well, she has spoken, folks. I tried. Uh, uh, Color Splash, I think, was really cute. Um, I adored uh, Paper Jam. Uh, but what it is, is I think Nintendo wants the Paper Mario games to be more action-based, which is fine. But A Thousand Year Door was really special. And I would love to see it return to just like a pure RPG that's not Mario and Luigi. So the the theory about Necron and the Leafa Tree is that Necron was the spiritual form of the Leafa tree that Garland talked about that blocks the souls in Gaia and all that. Sure, why not? It works. Nothing saying he's prefer, not. I just prefer that it's chaos and chaos showed up and wanted to have some fun. Hey, I'm chaos. I'm bored. Let's do a thing. <laughs> Sketch later, Josh says, ah, the classic Final Fantasy end boss gambit. It's never enough to fight the main antagonist. 
They have to be working for or merge with some kind of nebulous embodiment of evil nonsense. Hmm. That's why Kefka is the best villain in the series. FF6 can tell an epic story with a large cast, but it never gets overwhelming because your goal of punch that clown remains consistent. <laughs> yeah, it never quite, that never quite changes. And I do love how Kefka, uh, once he gains control of the world, he turns himself into a freaking god. Like, why not? He, he hates life. He hates everything. He may as well turn himself into a god. Yeah, that's true. I, I, Final Fantasy VII confused me for the longest time because I was like, aha, Sephiroth is the villain. But what the heck is this Genova thing? Yeah. What? It came down from space? Huh? And then he turns into like what? this one-winged angel, which at least Kefka, I understand. Okay, he did it because he can and he's Kefka. Sephiroth, he never really get a good answer for why he turned himself into that thing. Sephiroth isn't actually Sephiroth. Oh, right. He's like... The real Sephiroth is like dead. Yeah, yeah. He's like a clone. Um, and this is a different Sephiroth or something. I don't know. But that's why he like totally turns into that. I would say that this game is going to make more sense when the remake comes out, but it totally isn't. Didn't he merge with Genova? Possibly. Somebody's going to explain this to me. Someone, someone in the comments, please straighten us out because we have no idea what's going on. No, please don't. <laughs> Soft spot for Final Fantasy V's X-Death, though. I'll harness the power of the void. I don't actually know what it is, but I'm going to harness it, I tell you. The big goof. <laughs> I think Gilgamesh is the best villain. Gilgamesh is a lot of fun, and uh, I think he's in Dissidia 2, and some of his quotes are hilarious. So that's the end of our Final Fantasy IX wrap-up. And, well, I mean, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. And we would love to continue doing these reports. Uh, We're going to pick another game very soon to be able to continue. Maybe not the next episode, but the episode after Mm -hmm, that, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. While we also play Monster Hunter. But, uh, I mean, we're kind of open to suggestions, to be honest. Yeah, you uh, still need to finish the mana report, though. Uh, yeah, that thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I've kind of been distracted by Witcher 3. You know how it is with me. Yes. Like, I'll, I'll be like, yes, I'm totally going to play this game for a report. But it's just so funny because I'm like, oh, this game is like my heart and my soul. And you're like, oh, right, that thing. <laughs> I finally finished Chrono Trigger. You did? Well, Chrono Trigger is just other level, otherworldly. Like, it's just fantastic. Yes, Chrono Trigger is definitely next level. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, uh, Kuni Nino really wants you to do Final Fantasy X. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Well, we've already done a Final Fantasy, but, I mean, we could do more Final Fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do Final Fantasy VII. Let's play it again for the 50th time. Oh, my God. I, yeah, let's talk about that for... Uh, God, I feel like we've talked about this game, Final Fantasy VII, more than like any other freaking RPG on this podcast. We probably have. Let's do six then. I, I would love for somebody to go through all like 130 episodes and just look for the instances of the RPGs that we talk about the most. I bet it would be Final Fantasy VII. It'd be up there, that's for sure. Yes. But, yeah, give us suggestions. I mean, we, we can toss Witcher 3 in there. We can make... Uh, Nadia play it for the rest of her life. Uh, Persona 3? I was thinking, you know what, I was uh, thinking like Persona 3, I, I was thinking to myself, should I give that a play? Because I was writing out the games we want for 2018 or 19 and of course thinking about Persona 5, The Crimson which, or something, whatever is inevitably going to come to the Switch. And I was thinking, you know what, I should really give 3 a, t- a, a, a try sometime. It looks kind of fun. But you don't have a Vita. Yes, I do. That's why I played. Oh, right. You got a Vita for Golden. I played Duh. Golden on that. Yeah. Yeah, you can totally get Persona 3 Portable on it. Yeah. I might do that. Yeah, there you go. So, Persona 3, Witcher 3, Final Fantasy 10. 3. Uh, drop us a line. Uh, do you have something else that you would totally recommend uh, that we should be playing and talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, 
yeah, we're open to a lot of different suggestions uh, within reason, of course. New year, and new us. We'll pick a we'll pick a different game in a couple weeks. But Acts of Vlogod, US Gamer Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Please subscribe to us, rate us, review us. We love hearing uh, about what you think of the podcast. Mm-hmm. It keeps us going as we <laughs> produce this week after week after week. And as Cat struggles with the the audio problems, it keeps yeah. her warm. Yes. You can find me at the underscore catbot. You can find Nadia at Nadia Oxford. And of course, uh, we stream every Tuesday and Thursday. We've been playing a lot of PUBG lately, but uh, I also recently played some Darkest Dungeon. Uh, If you watched me, you would see that I had an extremely near run battle with the Swine King, where like most of my party was down to almost nothing. And at least one of my characters was at death's door, which is if they take one more hit, there's a chance that they will actually die. Wow. And so I was like really sweating that battle out, but I was able to just barely get through it without losing anybody. Nice. God, so. Good job. Yeah, you should totally watch that. Because I, I was pretty confident going into that battle, and then uh, you could see the confidence really starting to leave. <laughs> Slowly leaking out yes, in uh, sweat. In uh, Dark's Dungeon, they say ins- overconfidence is slow, but in- insidious killer. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. yeah, that was me. <laughs> uh, so, we'll be back next Friday, as always. Make sure to check out our other podcast, the US Gamer Podcast, which Nadia is also on, along with Katie and Mike, where they talk about uh, what they played over the Christmas vacation and such, and their kind of predictions for the upcoming year. Um, so, yeah, subscribe to that one, too. All of the US Gamer Podcast, goodness. But until then, I've been Kat Bailey, and for Nadia and myself, we'll see you again next week. And until then, happy adventuring. <laughs> <laughs>